God is good, isn't he? And it's good to be in his presence, isn't it? Who noticed the sweet presence of the Lord here today? Wow. <laughs> you know, I don't believe that we come to church to uh, encounter God's presence. I believe that his presence is with us always, but we come to gather together. Do not forsake the gathering together of the believers and something extra, something supernatural. People, some people don't realize. We know that here in this church, but some people in the church across the world, they don't realize that they are the temple, that they carry around the presence of God every single day, every moment of every day. Whatever good or bad we're doing, his presence is there with us. And uh, people have turned it into coming to church for his presence. But there is something supernatural about gathering, even just a, a small group uh, where two or more, right, are gathered. I'm in the midst of them. And I have found that I pray differently in groups of people. I worship differently within the group. And there's a, a special intimacy by ourselves, and I love that as well. But there is just something special um, about a Sunday morning. And that might not be a Sunday if you're listening on, your pod, on the podcast. You might have a day that, or a time for your work schedule that that's your time with the Lord as uh, with others. And, um, and whatever that time is, and for us it's Sundays, but it's special. It's special, and the Lord has set it apart. It's holy, and his presence is here in this place. And um, I, I have a lot of scripture, so I want to get right into it because uh, two weeks ago, uh, we had, uh, last week we had Joe, which was just amazing. I loved having him here, and I believe that he really spoke uh, a word for this church and for this season, and I was so excited. And so, um, uh, if you want to listen, I think everybody was here, but if you weren't, go ahead and listen to that on the podcast. But um, uh, two weeks ago, I started talking about um, how the Lord really, uh, after Jesus uh, died and rose again, he came and he met with his disciples there in the first book of Acts, and the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2. But before that, back in the book of John, he spent some intimate time with them, starting in around thir chapter 13 uh, through chapter 17, and he spent some intimate time with his disciples, and he said something to them in John chapter 14, verse 18. John 14, verse 18 says, I will not abandon you as orphans. Jesus said, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. He said, soon the, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. And he says, since I live, you also will live. And then he goes on to say in verse 27 that he's leaving them with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And he gives them peace that the world cannot give. He says, do not be troubled or afraid because Jesus said that they will not be alone but I will give you ultimately the Holy Spirit, and there is this waiting time that the earth is in for Jesus to come and rescue the physical body. Even those that have died before Jesus returns, their physical bodies go into the grave, their spirit goes into heaven, but one day their body will be resurrected. Even those that are cremated, aren't, aren't people weird? You know, there's teachings that if you were cremated, you know, I don't know, there might not be hope for you because your body's gone. I don't know, I feel bad for people that accidentally got eaten by sharks, you know, it wasn't their fault, right? I mean, come on, who burned up in a fire, 
who love the Lord, right? I mean, come on, people get weird. So even cremated dust, you know, if the Lord created us from dust and, and ashes, right? Dust and clay the first time, he can do it again. So even the ashes spread wherever they are, the Lord's going to take them back and he's going to create a new body from them. Amen. Thank you, Lord. A glorified body and put our spirit back into this glorified body one day. But in the meantime, everybody say, in the meantime, there is this holding time. There is this meantime, right? <laughs> it seems mean sometimes, but I want you to say this out loud. There's a purpose for it. I have said it many times, and even Joe last week said what I say all the time, that, you know, it would be nice if the Lord just said, hey, finally my son or daughter has surrendered to me. Lord Jesus, we're at the altar. Forgive me of my sins. I repent. Oh, Lord, come into my life. And bam, we're in heaven with him forever. And the funny thing is, like I said all the time, and I just even said it two weeks ago, we are technically there with him instantly in Christ, seated with him. But this body is still on the earth. And so uh, why did God do such a mean thing, right? He did. It's not mean, but our perception feels like, man, you know, I just want to be in heaven. And, you know, there is even a danger. Sometimes when people talk too much about heaven on earth, I get a little concerned. I understand the idea that we want God's presence and we want his power, we want his authority, we want his victory. But sometimes the heaven that they're talking about is not that heaven. It's the, it's the uh, front porch, iced tea, you know, um, fire blazing, white picket fence, dog running around the yard, heaven. That's what they're talking about. They don't want to, you know, they don't want to sweat anymore. They don't want to do anymore. And I, I, I'm with all of you. I want that same thing. And, I, and it's, it's, uh, it's coming. The Lord's going to rescue. Even the Bible says, Jesus said it, that this earth, that it's curse of drought, it's curse of, of the struggle, that man was put in, you know, put under all the way back to the first Adam. All that's going to be reversed. But that hasn't happened yet. There's a meantime. And the Lord has a purpose for the meantime. And that purpose is while we are simultaneously getting to know him greater and his presence is actually getting stronger in our lives on the earth, what's actually happening is, is that God is using us for his purpose. I was just meditating on how Moses actually entered into a pre-Christ experience of intimacy with God that really no one else, even David, who had a heart after God, didn't get to go into the presence and talk with him face to face as a man talks with his friend. And yet that was not his purpose. The purpose for Moses was not to be born, to have an encounter with God, to be able to see him face to face. Now, that was the benefit. Everybody say the benefit. And sometimes we confuse in Christianity the benefits of Christianity with the purpose. I want to say that out loud again. Sometimes we confuse the benefits with the purpose. And sometimes the benefits become everything, and we've actually missed it. It doesn't mean you're going to go to hell. It doesn't mean that, you know, that he doesn't love you. But it means that, that the, you know, the enemy, if he can't get you into sin and get you skewed that way, then what he'll try to get a Christian to do is be so focused 
on that glory place, on that place where we're in his presence, which is incredible, that we miss the purpose of why we're still on this earth. And that purpose was that when he went in to his presence, he had the benefit of talking with him face to face. And it was so incredible that a literal physical glory came upon him. His face had to be veiled because everybody's freaking out because his face is glowing. And yet, when he came out, he had the instruction of the Lord, the commands of the Lord. He had the direction of the Lord to lead the people who were troublesome <laughs> and who were a tough time. And you can see why he would want to race back into God's presence again. But God, you know, didn't say, you know, didn't let him just stay there and say, listen, I know that uh, these people are hard to lead, Moses, but, uh, and I know you want to be in my presence, but I'm going to have to say, you know, it's, uh, it's time to go again, and I need to send you. I'm going to go do God things, and I need you to go do Moses things, and we'll be meeting again. Don't worry, but I'm going to send you back out for my purpose for this time. Amen. And that is really a picture of what we have New Testament post-Christ. Without Moses being in the presence of God, he could never lead. Amen. So it's not that it wasn't important. It's the, it really is. It's, you know, in God, what's so funny about when we talk about things of God is uh, I say that everything in the entire Bible is fine lines. You can literally, it could be, a, it's, as, it's as slim as a fishing line. You can barely even see it. In one second, you're over it, right? Who knows that, who's been there with the Lord? You're going fine, and then all of a sudden, you're just a little bit off. It's not a big deal. The Lord doesn't, he's not hating you and suddenly, you know, hitting, your, hitting you over the head with a hammer because you missed it. But sometimes we get too much, you know, trying to lead without spending the time with him, and we need to get back to spending time with him. Sometimes we spend so much time with him, he's like, hey, that's great. We'll be together for eternity, but I've got you on this earth for a purpose. Amen. Does that make sense? So everything in the word is really fine lines, and we must understand that we must... Uh, Realize, and that's what I'm going to preach on today, that you cannot do anything without Jesus. That your purpose on this earth is, and, and this is what's incredible, is Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. But in human math, 100 plus 100 equals 200. You can't have one man being 100, 100, right? My children are whatever percentage, you know, we've done it through the genetics now. It's not even 50-50, right? It's weird how God created us, but, you know, Elijah's a little more of Dawn in this area and a little more of me in this area. It's the weird, weirdest thing, the genetics, unbelievable. Um, and, and so, but they are portions to create one man, right? These men right here, these young men growing up, they are portions of different uh, nationalities and, and, and around the world that create this person standing, sitting here today. And yet Jesus was 100 and 100. So when we talk about concepts in God, they don't make human sense. And you know, we must be 100% in the presence of God and then simultaneously 100% about his purpose here on the earth. We can't be 50% about his presence and, and, and that's and so that then we can give our other parts to his purpose. Jesus was 100% with 
with God, in unity with God, and he would go up to the mountaintop and spend that time with God, but he was here for a singular purpose, which was not for himself, but for us. His purpose was to redeem humanity, and yet he still took the time to spend personal time with his father, which is weird because he's Jesus, right? It seems like he wouldn't need to draw away. And isn't it incredible that even Jesus needed to do that, and yet he would come down. My favorite story really about Jesus um, having is because I, I could see the humanity in this son of God is that his cousin John is beheaded, and all that Jesus wants to do is grieve. And the crowds keep pulling on him, and he doesn't get a chance to grieve yet because uh, he has, he's filled with compassion from God that there's a purpose. I need to put myself aside right now, and I need to give myself. And then finally, he draws away to the mountain, and the Bible says that as he comes down the mountain, he's met by the crowd immediately, right? They don't give him a break, and he comes right back into the the. I don't want to say it's the reason he went up on the mountain, because I don't go into God's presence just to lead. I'm going into his presence because of who he is, and I want to be with him, but it gives this purpose power. That makes sense. I know I'm saying a lot. Preacher, are you saying too much today? So he did not abandon us. We must understand that Jesus didn't just say, okay, now it's your job, all right? So it's not just that we're here only for a purpose. That'll get you burned out. People that get so focused on the purposes of God, but without having the presence of God, get burned out. <laughs> and yet, we've seen the other side where it seems like the person never does anything for God because they're so infatuated with his presence, and I understand why. It's addictive. When you get into God's presence, you don't want to leave. But there is a people out here that needs us, and I want you to know that the Lord's not asking us to do it alone. That's the key. It says, he goes on in Philippians 4. I'm trying to review here to get into some new scriptures, and I said I had a lot, so let me keep moving here. But it says in Philippians 4, we looked at that last week, that there's a perfect peace that we can experience in God just by giving him everything. We're not worrying. We're praying instead, and we're rejoicing in him. And there's this peace that comes. He guards our heart. He guards our minds. Our thoughts are fixed on him. And then it says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 12, and we left off here. I never got here. It says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. He said, I've learned the secret. Everybody say the secret. The secret to this life is very simple. Everybody reads the next verse, and the next verse is on the plaques. The next verse is on, you know, all the little pictures that we uh, put around our houses. I can do everything, verse 13, through Christ who gives me strength. But verse 12 says, I've learned that when I, even when I have everything, see, what we do is we say I can do everything through Christ only when we have nothing. When we're aware of our weaknesses, then we say, Christ, I need you. But when we feel strong, we don't realize yet 
So we don't necessarily say, Christ, I need you, not because we don't intend to, it's not even evil in our heart, but we just sometimes we get running on our own energizer battery, right? We recharge the battery and it kind of goes on its own for a while and we don't even realize that we've wandered out of his strength. And what the Lord really I want to speak today is the Lord wants us to get to a place and like I said, this math is not going to add up, but you need to hear it through a spiritual mind, not through a mental mind, that we need to be 100% in his presence. And the only way we can do that is through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in our heart, that we can be in communion with the Lord 100% of the time, and we are 100% about his purposes in this earth. That all of our joys and all of our weaknesses are through, he says, I've learned the secret, and it's through Christ who gives me strength. It's Christ who gives me strength, and then he says in verse 19, and the same God who takes care of me. He goes on about how God supplies his needs and takes care of him, and he says in 19 that that God who I serve, Paul talking here, he'll supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Everything we need is in Christ. Now, Jesus gives us many, many blessings. He gives us many things that we don't need. Everybody say it out loud, because I don't know that you believe me. Jesus gives me things I don't need. <laughs> you know what's funny is we don't realize, but I just talked to Justin, my brother-in-law, you know, who just went on the trip for CRI, and he said that he already had the concept. You know, many Americans don't have a concept of how good we have it here, but he had the concept, which I share, that we do have it good. I'm fully aware. I am constantly aware of how good we have it, but there is a people out there, you guys know them, right, that just doesn't even realize how good they have it. So he said he went into this third world country with that concept already that we know, I know we have it good and I know that it's tough for them, but he said when you're there in person, you just can't imagine their lack and their need and how low. Like he said even the people on the street here, just even those who have nothing here, he can't even, he couldn't describe it in words to me, but those that have nothing here, how much greater they have it than those with nothing there. Even something simple, he said, like water. You wouldn't ever, we just don't think about it. And then the green people get weird and tell us to turn our faucets off as, as, as if I'm going to turn, like, send my water through FedEx to these countries. That just gets weird, right? We can't send our water there. You turning your faucet off doesn't do anything for their water. They need water. They need wells. They need people to go there and bring water to them in bottles, not your water and wells and so on. Anyway, right. <laughs> but anyway, that was a side note. But he said even just the concept of water, you have no idea how you're constantly searching for clean water. Who has it like a bottle of clean water? Just that simple thing. And so Jesus, when he said that he will take care of our needs and he gives us everything we need, if you were to talk to a Christian in this third world country, their concept of Christ giving them what they need and our concept is going to be very different. And we must realize that Jesus, sometimes we feel abandoned, sometimes we feel weak, sometimes we feel lack, 
And we must understand something, and that's where we just need to get back into his presence. It's going to be the presence of God that's going to sustain us, not the blessings of God, not the favor of God, not the stuff that God can give us. And, and that's what Paul had learned. He had learned this concept that somehow his mind was removed from this earth and he had come into this relationship in this place with Christ where he understood truly what it meant to have his needs met by Christ and everything else was just extra and a benefit. Amen. Peter talks about something very similar in the book of 2 Peter chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 says, by his, speaking of Jesus, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need. I just want a comma there for a minute. Don't read ahead. He's given us everything we need. Now, sometimes then we bring our list to the Lord and we say, Lord, these are my needs. These are the things I need from you. And, you know, again, God has blessed us so abundantly. God loves giving, and, and I also believe in the Scripture, you have not because you ask not. Sometimes I've asked God, and God's given me something that I did not need, but I said I wanted, and he's a good God. He didn't have to do it. I certainly then didn't say because I deserved it, right? I hate that. You guys know me as pastor that I hate the word deserve. I don't think anyone deserves anything except, except hell. I mean, that's what my Bible, because I believe my word and not what sounds good and is easy for me to digest in my mind. That's the only thing that my, my humanity deserves, and yet every, and Christ redeemed me, gave me his blood, so everything we have is a gift from him. Everything we have is a gift. Even the oxygen in my lungs is a gift from God. And so he gives us everything we need, but... The concept from God and the concept that has crept into Christianity, sometimes they're a little bit off because the needs that God cares most about is so that we live a godly life. The needs that he meets for us is so that we live. He's given us everything we need for living a godly life. Now, the Bible says that he cares about the sparrow and he cares about the flower. The sparrow has one thing. I've been thinking about this. Just, you know, I I'm, I'm, have a lot to do with animals in, in my, my hobby, right? I just, I'm around animals all the time, so I think a lot about animals. And animals really have, I was just telling Aaron, there's one thing on their mind all day, every day. That's it, which is food. That's it. While they're looking for food, now, the second thing that's secondary is they're watching out for the dangers around them, right? The reason the animal, when you open your door and the animal runs is because they don't know if you're a danger or not, but the reason they're there is they're looking for your scraps, they're looking for your food. That's it, all day, every day, and for one season out of the year, then they think about mating, but for, and even during that, they'll think about mating first thing in the morning, that's why we hunt then, but then their mind goes right back to the next thing, which is, I need to eat today. And that's all they do every day. So sometimes when we think about God supplying our needs and taking care of us, sometimes it gets 
skewed because of the our our world we don't even realize it gets in i started talking about this two weeks ago and it gets into our minds and creates a picture of what we think god is and what we think he owes us and what we think he should do for us and etc and like i said someone in the third world when they could think of god's blessing as just having clean water and we're thinking of it has a reverse osmosis system under our sink <laughs> oh man that's funny it's funny to say out loud. I think we need our filters cleaned. I think I need new filters for my reverse osmosis water system. Wow. And so the concept in the Bible of God taking care of us is that I think everything he gives us beyond there is just total bonus. It's just blessings and favor. He does not owe it to us, but one thing that he promises us that we know that we can grab a hold of for that always is that he promises us that he will clothe us and he will feed us. Which is funny because that's exactly what the children of Israel experienced. And exactly what they complained about. I'm wearing the same clothes and eating the same food my entire life. And that's it. But he's, he said, what a promise that their shoes never wore out and they always had food. He took care of them. He met every single need. Everything else that they encountered when they went into the promised land was actually, not only was it all blessing, but that's where they really got in trouble. And he warns them ahead of time. He's like, listen, when you get in there, I'm warning you now, because once you get in there, the concern that I have for you people, so I'm telling you now, is that you'll forget about me and you'll just start thinking about what you have in this new land I'm giving you, and you'll look at that more than me, and that's exactly what happens, and they create their own gods and so on, right? We know the story. It's a sad story, and thank God for Jesus. Finally, that, that he says, okay, it's, it's time. Jesus says, it's time. We're going to end this, this human trying thing. It's not going to work. A, a, a physical promised land is not going to work. We're going to do it my way. And so it says, by, my, by his divine power, God's saying, by my divine power, everything you need for living a godly life. And he says, we have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who has called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises. Now listen. When we talk about the promises of God, Peter says, the promises enable us. Everybody say, enable us. God's promises and God's gifts and God's blessing and God's favor should all be for this. That we look to him, we're thankful, we're grateful, but that it's all, we have to realize that even if God gave us the entire earth and plated the whole entire earth in gold and said it's yours, you have to realize that you cannot take that with you. Even the entire earth, he's like, I'm going to give you, uh, you can, I'm going to let you own Ferrari. You're not going to own one Ferrari. I'll give you the company. You can own Bugatti. You can own every house you've ever dreamed of, every beach house, every boat, car, land, I mean, etc. right? But you, even from God, that stays here. We need to understand this concept. And that the only thing that's going to matter when it all washes away is our relationship with him and the purpose that he had for us on this earth. 
and everything else was just extra. Kind of puts it in perspective, doesn't it? Puts it in incredible perspective. And so he tells us that he has given us promises, and I'm so thankful for the extra, but that I don't want to think again that his promises are for my ease and for my comforts, but I want to look to his word and really see what his promise is. He says that these are, are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature. Everybody say divine nature. God has given us everything we need to live a godly life and to have God's nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Anybody getting anything out of this today? Maybe you'll have to listen again because I'm like talking faster than I even intended to talk, saying a lot more things than I even intended. So uh, maybe I'm even confused. I'm just playing, but I'm saying a lot. <laughs> I'm just saying a lot, that's all. I didn't mean to say so much. Everybody all right with that? All right. It says in his word, and I just want to sum it by this, everything we do is for his glory. Everything we do is by his power. We are giving to him and to others only what he gave us first. Our strength comes from him. Our abilities come from him. We cannot resist our flesh or the devil without acknowledging our weakness first, then giving it to Jesus, letting him yoke with us and walk with us. We are powerless without him. And when we think we have strength without him, Jesus tells us that whatever we do without him is useless. A sandcastle that crumbles in the waves, wood, hay, and stubble that is burned up. We can do nothing without him, and nothing, of value, nothing is of value without him. It says in John chapter 15, I just want to transition here now. In John chapter 15, it says, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener, and he cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. Verse 4, remain in me, or you may know it as abide in me. And basically what the translators here are doing, saying the word abide and remain, is uh, they're getting it from this word that basically means I want you to live in this place. This is where I want you to live, right? When you say where I abide, that's where I live. And I also love the NLT translation of remain because sometimes uh, we kind of come and go and Christianity is becoming more like that when it's convenient, not in this church, but that's the danger, that's where it's coming, that's the deception that's coming, that it's e when things are easy, when things are good, we come back, we give him glory, we give him praise. Um, and we also then, we don't even realize, and we're getting in our own strength, and when things are bad, we, we're, we're cursing him, but also then we're crying out for his strength. And so we must be, though, a Christian that abides, that remains, that stays. And the Bible says, and I will remain in you. And this is, again, a com he's compounding what he said to them in John 14, now in John 15. He's not going to abandon us. He was going to come again through the Holy Spirit, 
and live inside of us. And the Bible says, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me or abide in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. And I love this verse, one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. It says, for apart from me, let's read this out loud, for apart from Jesus, I can do nothing. In fact, it continues, anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers, and such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. But I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. Wow. I could spend weeks just on this little chunk of Scripture, which I'm not going to do. I just wanted to bring this into today's sermon. But I want to just point out a couple of things. Number one, that the Father's the gardener and what he's doing with us as his branches right? We're coming off of the branches of the vine of Christ, and what he's doing with us is he's pruning us, and he's cutting off things that are, are going to hinder us, things that are going to hurt us, and ultimately it says, so that we produce even more, and yet then in verse 4, he says to abide in him, remain in him. And so we see this kind of compounded thought that it's we need to be in Christ. It really is all about being in his presence and being in unity with him and being in oneness with him. He says later, without being in me, you can do nothing. But if you are in me, you can ask anything and it will be given. Now, some people have wondered, well, I've asked things and I didn't see it happen. And we can, I don't have time for the teaching in that, but you can go to 1 John for that. And it says, did you ask according to his will? Because what he's really talking about here is that if you really remain in me and you let me prune you down to the place I want to prune you, what happens is we get pruned and we say that's too far, that's too much, and we don't even realize, but we jump ship and we leave. We still say, I love you. We still say, Lord, you're Lord. I'll, don't worry, I'll be there every other Sunday. <laughs> wow, that was a low blow. But what happens is we don't even realize, but we've, we've abandoned him, we've, we've, we've removed ourselves, and we haven't let him prune us to the place where we realize, wow, he really has met my needs. In fact, not only has he met my needs, but I'm needing less and less. In fact, I feel guilty to even pray anymore. They're coming in so easily. The Lord's just supplying and taking care of me so easily that I, I feel guilty to even pray about me right now when the world is suffering, when those are, I'm getting bombarded right now, Lord, with prayers, right? Who, 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 who has experienced this, right? And, and I've been so guilty of this, and I've repented, and I really, really focused to make sure I don't do this, but we've all been there, and it's this. Here's the, my issue, blah, 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 blah. Can you please pray for me? And we go like this. I'll pray for you. And then two seconds later... We're back, our minds back on what we were thinking about, and we forget 
We say we'd pray for them. They send us a text. I'll pray for you. Lord Jesus, I just pray for Okay, back to my Instagram. And we, and we forget. And the Lord really wants us to get into this place where we're so pruned in Him, that we're so in Him, that we're so one with Him. There's really, and I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to get into this these next few minutes, but that there's nothing left of you. And that doesn't mean that you don't count, you don't matter, just the opposite. I want to prove to you it's just the opposite. But finally, everything you ask happens because you're asking out of a heart that has been changed, it's literally been replaced from the self-seeking, self-fulfilling heart that we're born with by, from the curse, and we've been given this new heart, the heart of God inside of us, we've been given a new mind, we've been given, we start seeing and hearing differently so that when we speak and when we pray, it happens, we see things change because it's from a totally different perspective, amen. And this is really where the Lord wants to get us to. In fact, after Jesus promises the Holy Spirit, we know in Acts 1, he tells them the promise. Acts chapter 2, they receive that promise. And then uh, the Bible says here that that Holy Spirit, this is the only way you can do it. What Jesus was talking about is that how, how we remain is really that promise he was talking about in John 15 was the Holy Spirit. We know scripturally, this is the scripture. I'm not offended when people say I invited Jesus into my heart. I said the same prayers. But scripturally, Jesus is sitting on the throne at the right hand of God. I'm in him, him he's in me. But through the scriptures, he is in me through the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean it's not Jesus, because they're one. But technically, let's, be, let's not disregard the Holy Spirit like too much of the church does and doesn't even realize. He's the least talked about. John Bevere wrote a whole book on it. He's the least talked about. He's the least uh, you know, access part of God. I hate to put it that way, but I don't know what other words to use. But you know, the Holy Spirit, I don't quite understand him. I love Jesus, but I don't quite understand him so uh, when we get baptized, we'll just say the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That'll be the extent of it. Holy Spirit come, but I don't understand what that means. And really what it was is Jesus is sitting on the throne. I'm in him. Jesus is in me every single day, every single moment, every single thought, every single breath through the Holy Spirit. Remember, the presence of God was when the Spirit of God came down and the Spirit of God came down and it hovered above. Remember the Spirit of God hovering above the tabernacle? And then it would come inside the tabernacle. And in that place, it was so holy, human flesh could not be welcome in that place. At that point, human flesh could not go in. And what Jesus did through the blood, and what I just mentioned during uh, prayer as we were starting the service and worship there, is that he tore that veil and so that we can actually go into the tabernacle that's in Christ in heaven, and that the Spirit of God comes down, we go in, and the Spirit of God comes down, come on, inside of us, and so that His Spirit now is in us right now. Amen. And I don't even realize, but the Holy Spirit, He's convicting me big time right now. I don't even realize that I didn't think I was grieving Him, but that I'm not letting him rule in me and live in me the way he wants to. I also don't feel condemned, but I know the Lord wants more now. And I love those seasons. Who knows when the Lord starts to ask for more? Who loves that? Imagine a, a love relationship where Dawn's like, you know, I've had enough of your love. You've reached the limit. 
this is good for the rest of our lives. Imagine how bland that would be if she's not requiring more, right? Yesterday's love is not good enough. You want me to love you more than I did yesterday. <laughs> and, simul and that's that relationship. And so the Holy Spirit is actually calling for deeper and calling for more right now. He wants us to come into that place with him. And, you know, the church has skewed it because the church started seeking power and seeking miracles. Again, those are the benefits. Those are the outworkings. But that was off. That was off. Because what they missed was, I don't want you to, I mean, even Jesus, he condemns them. They said, okay, you're Jesus. Show us a sign. He feeds them, feeds the 5,000. He crosses the lake. The next day, he's like, you're only here because I fed you. They're like, okay, show us a sign that you're Jesus. Just prove, us, prove it to us again. And he said, what a wicked, what a wicked generation to desire a sign. Was he saying that the miracle he did yesterday was wicked? Of course not. But he was saying, I'm standing right here in front of you. You don't want to just be with me because I'm me? How insulting that is to we go to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, I need something. That's why I'm here. Wow. I just want to be in your presence. And then the Holy Spirit's like, hey, remember we were, you were just in my presence for no reason at all this morning? I want you to talk to this person. I want you to give them now something. Wow, what a difference. It's the same thing. It looks exactly the same to the world's perspective that here's this guy came up and spoke to me today, gave me something, but it's such a different thing in the presence of God, isn't it? Amen. Wow. Lord's preaching to me today. He said, I love this. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 22, I'm just going to read some verses quick because I want to say something. I want to finish here, and I'm going to get it all in and if I have to refresh it again. But just quickly, it says that he's identified us as his own, and he's placed the Holy Spirit in our hearts. See, that's who comes into our hearts. That's the scripture. And again, I'm not, I'm not being, uh, you know, I don't know the exact English word I would say would be like uh, quibbling or or what's the word? There's a word. I've actually got it in my mind. It's like floating right here. There's a word for this. Semantics. Semantics. We're talking about Jesus, the Holy Spirit in my heart. What's the difference? And it's important to God that we realize, I believe because it's just disrespectful to the Holy Spirit to not realize he's the one in our hearts. Christ is in our hearts. Of course he is. But the, it's really the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything has promised us. Isn't that incredible? Whoever prayed, Holy Spirit, come into my heart. Anybody ever been to the altar call for that? I and mean, we would say, Holy Spirit, come on me. Give me tongues. Give me gifts. But Holy Spirit, come into my heart. Just come into my heart. Isn't that crazy? Right here in our word. I know it seems like so little, but I just feel like the Holy Spirit was convicting me of just that Simple thing. I mean, I'm communing with him, but it was very small. I'm, like I said, I'm not feeling condemned, but I just felt his conviction, which is a good thing because he wants more. He wants greater. And so it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, it says that when I believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. And so we think of this as, oh, that's the Holy Spirit's gifts. Jesus He's the one I have the relationship with. Jesus is the one who pays the price, and the Holy Spirit gave me the gifts. And actually, the Holy Spirit is the one, it says here, who is, again, dwelling, New King James says, having believed, 
you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Having believed, I believe in Christ and the Holy Spirit, he seals me. He's the one that really wraps around me. That's that cloud. That's the cloud. I mean, the presence of God is the, this cloud is that Holy Spirit. And it says in verse 14 that the Spirit is God's guarantee. Wow. God gave me a guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased, purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I love Paul's words here. He says, I came to you, right? And says, I didn't use lofty words. And he says, verse 2, I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness and timid and trembling, and my message and my preaching were very plain. Me and Paul would get along well, apparently. And he says, rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied on the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's not just the Holy Spirit just coming out of him in power. He literally just said it. What is the Holy Spirit doing? He's the one speaking. He's the one speaking. He said, my speech wasn't clever and lofty words. So what is he saying? It was the whole, we, we just say, well, that was the power. It was just the miracles. No. Yes, there was that too. But literally that the words, remember Jesus said, don't worry what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will speak through through you literally the holy spirit inside of you wants to speak and we speak too much <laughs> we're speaking too much the holy spirit literally is trapped inside of us he's like i came in you we had this communion you believed now let me speak let me speak and yes there were miracles he did he did move you know i'm not taking away that paul didn't do of the power of the Holy Spirit in other ways, but it was the word. So he says, I did this so you would not trust in human wisdom, but in the power of God. I just want to say this. We are without excuse for our inadequacies because Jesus not only died for our sins and he, he died to give us life, but that he sealed us. He gave us the Holy Spirit. He gave us everything. I, just, I had just compiled just a, a really quick list. This is not all that he's done for us, but the Lord has given us grace. He's given us favor. He's given us his strength. He's given us his peace. It was the Holy Spirit himself, the spirit of the living God, the spirit of God that hovered above the waters before the earth was even made. That Holy Spirit who God, the Bible says everything was made through Christ. God we see God the Father with the authority speaking through Christ. Christ is the Word, and the Holy Spirit hovered above the waters. And we see this authority line. It was the Holy Spirit over the earth. It was Christ's Word, and it was God in God's heart and God's mind. And so the Holy Spirit himself, that Spirit of God that hovered above the waters, that hovers above the tabernacle, is inside of us. And Jesus has given us his commands to guide us. And even Jesus is praying for us, present tense. And finally, what I want to get into next week for time is that even Jesus put his own name on us. I'm obsessed with this. I really wanted to 
get into this today, but I won't for time. I'll get into it next week. But not only has he put the Holy Spirit in us, but Jesus and the Holy Spirit protects us and covers us, but Jesus put his own name on us. And that's incredible. I'm like, I'm just, in, I'm in love with him even more. Uh, reading this uh, just through his word and really just understanding really what he's done for us. He has done so much for us. Christ has done so much for us. He paved the way to eternity. And, and we think of Christianity, we think of coming to Christ as this. this. And the simplicity of it is that I'm a sinner and Jesus is my Savior. That's in the simplicity. And it's a very simple gospel. If we were to get more complex, but it's still really children's church, is that meanwhile, there's this meantime, and in that meantime, the Lord says, Yes, I've given you eternity, and if you could see in the Spirit, you're already there. But in the meantime, I'm going to dwell in your body. I'm going to dwell inside you. My presence is going to be in you, and everything you need, everything you could ask, is going to be right there because you are in my presence. I'm in you. We are one. I'm pruning you. I'm shaping you. I'm making you, and we must stay in that place. We must stay in his presence we must not disregard. The Bible says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. You know how the Bible says that when we do that, it's when we, we disregard and we don't understand. We just kind of like, they were not realizing. Jesus says, listen, you can mock me, but don't mock the Holy Spirit. Christianity calls that the unpardonable sin. I don't quite understand all that. But he calls it so strict, he says that you can mock me and I'll forgive you. You mock the Holy Spirit and there's no forgiveness. That's how great it is. And so this Holy Spirit within me right now, within you right now, every single thing we need, we are, I just want to read that again to close, what, what Peter says. He says, we're not abandoned. It was the Holy Spirit who was promised. That's what Jesus was referring to, Acts 1 and Acts 2. And then finally, it says, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need through the Holy Spirit we can just insert that right there. Everything we need through the Holy Spirit for living a godly life. We've received all of this. We've received his promises. We've received it. It says, finally, verse 4, so that we can have his divine nature and we can escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Even Jesus, we picture Jesus. Just picture Jesus, all right? Jesus has, he's been sent by God, and I'm closing here. Jesus has been sent by God. And he, uh, he is trained at 12 years old. He's trained in the word, all right? And he's already separated. And the Bible says he was without sin, all right? So for 30 years, he's without sin. But before Jesus could enter into his ministry, he goes into the Jordan River and the Spirit of God, just like we see it. Just like he hovered above the waters, and just like he hovered above the tabernacle, he's hovering above Christ. The Bible says that John looked up and he saw the Spirit of God hovering above Christ like a dove. And he came inside of him. Jesus was driven into the wilderness, tempted by the devil, and then immediately began his ministry. And so even Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, if we have received, we believed his blood, he's paved a way. But in order to operate in this earth, it's not talking about eternity. I'm not talking about heaven. In order to operate in this earth, we can be trained. We can have our minds filled. 
Christ's mind was filled with God. And yet, in, t- in order to operate in the earth, in the purpose that God gave him, required the Holy Spirit to come inside of him. Amen. This was like an intro. We'll get more into this next week because it is a big, big subject. So hopefully it wasn't too much at once, but I had to do all that. I couldn't skimp on any of that, and we'll get more into it. Amen. But I just thank you, Lord. Let's just pray. Thank you, God, today. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Even in these weeks, Lord, uh, upcoming, Lord, where we even celebrate Pentecost, Lord, I just pray you'd fill us. And, Lord, you'd encourage us. Lord God, you just encourage us. And, Lord, that, that you have not abandoned us, that we have everything we need in you. But, Holy Spirit, that we would not just pray those prayers and then just move on, that we would really come into your presence, that we would really understand that you are the cloud You are the presence of God, the the almighty God. Man, that really changes our minds. When we're looking at the wrong things, thinking the wrong things, just think that the spirit, the presence of God, before anything was even made, hovering above the waters there, that that Holy Spirit is inside of me. It just brings such a seriousness to who he is. and, and, And I thank you, Lord God, that the words that we need to speak, Lord God, that they would be holy. Your word says that we can't have bitter springs and fresh springs coming out of the same place, Lord God, out of our mouths, Lord God. I pray that they would be words of life and only life, that we would not curse any longer. It would not be the curse of this world, and we would not, Lord, speak the world's and the, and the devil's curses any longer, but Holy Spirit, that we would speak the word with truth and with life. And Lord God, that we would walk in the way, Jesus, that you walked in this earth, even you relying on the Holy Spirit, just like Paul relied on the Holy Spirit, just like Peter said, I rely on the Holy Spirit. I pray, Jesus, uh, that your blood just covers. Lord, we just pray for those in this church, Lord. Just pray for this entire church, their families, their children, their households, Lord. We just pray for them and bless them and cover them. I pray, Lord, your angels around them, your words surrounding them. I thank you, Lord. We're not going to let the enemy win in this time. He's not going to just take, Lord God. He's not going to take this time, and we're just going to loaf back into 21 and 22 and just go back to normal. But I thank you, Lord God. We just pray for this church that we would truly, Lord, use this moment. Lord God, use this time Lord, we are, where we're still, Lord, uncertain in the times that we see ahead of us, that we use it, God, to, to recognize, Lord, that weakness, that, that, that this is temporary, And that, Holy Spirit, we have a purpose, and that you are desperately desiring to work your purpose, your purpose through us in this earth. And we just thank you, Lord Jesus, and we praise you, God, give you glory. Amen, amen, amen.